Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Hey everyone, it's Jameson. Today we're talking with Butch Whiting, co-founder of Cryptech Outdoor Group. I have to admit, I've never completely understood camo. I know that sounds weird, I just thought that most companies were the same. This episode helped me understand a lot more about the science and technology behind camos. And for those of you that already understand how camouflage works, I think you'll enjoy this episode just as much, if not more. Talking to Butch was funny and inspiring. He told great stories and he spoke passionately about the work that Cryptech does. We're hoping that this podcast teases your stoke a little bit more as we prepare to release Cryptech on our site starting in just four days. This Monday, August 23rd, we'll have things like 1.1 ounce ripstop poly calendared, 1.1 ounce sill poly, narrow goods like webbing, as well as print on demand options for some of your favorite Cryptech patterns. So, this is episode 24, and you're listening to Ripstop on the record. Hey, Butch, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So tell us who Butch Whiting is. Where are you? Where is Cryptic located? And who are you outside of Cryptic? Well, uh, Butch Whiting, CEO, co-founder of Cryptic Outdoor Group, um, located in Eagle, Idaho, which is a suburb of Boise, Idaho. Um, Outside of Cryptic, I'm still cryptic. For the most part, I spend the majority of my time as much as I can in the back country. Um, I love to hunt in super austere environments all over the world. Uh, I'm a hyper-focused um, father at the same time. Right now, I've been spending a lot of time at rodeos. My youngest daughter is uh, heavy into rodeoing. Um, she just won the National High School Rodeo Queen title. And so uh, I find myself um, pulling a horse trailer often right now. I'm kind of taking a tactical pause and I've missed out on a few um, corporate long range uh, shooting courses this summer in light of going to support my daughter in high school rodeo. But I'm the same guy in cryptic as I am outside of cryptic. Um, You know, we're a super authentic brand. Uh, uh, Our brand slogan, Battlefield, the backcountry. It's really who we are. A um, bunch of former soldiers that absolutely love to hunt that are passionate about the backcountry, and um, yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. Fascinating. I I noticed in your about us how you mentioned specifically, I think verbatim, uh, austere environments in the backcountry. That's mm-hmm. a fascinating word. It's not one that you see a whole lot. Uh, explain that a little bit more. Just touch on more what you mean by that and what that means to Cryptech. Well, everything from third world shitholes that, you know, I spent the majority of my adult lifehood in fighting our nation's battles where, you know, um, just everyday commodities are not a luxury all the way back into, you know, just getting into areas that have never had, you know, a foot planted on terra firma for the most part, if they have, it's been very rare, Um, you know, just basically putting ourselves into environments that are extremely difficult um, to operate in and, and most people don't access or they don't go in and, and try to get into. And that remoteness also 
in many cases, in most cases, relieves the hunting pressure. And um, it's also a part of the experience, you know, when you go in and you do uh, a 14 day or 21 day float hunt in Alaska and you pack everything in that you need to survive on for in your backpack or, or a few extra ditty bags on if you're floating. Um, you know, it's just a, it's just a part of, um, I guess what I really enjoy as far as, uh, how to hunt and how to spend time in the backcountry. Um, the austere environments though, to answer your question, uh, I've spent a lot of, a lot of years in, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and Africa and various other places, but, um, really I'm thinking more about areas on the hunting side where, you know, the climate changes quickly, the environment changes quickly and your success or failure is really going to depend on your gear. So those types of places where you're not able to go back to the truck and warm up or go back to the lodge and warm up, it's really, um, dependent on your bushcraft and your skill sets and, you know, basically just being self-reliant. So you mentioned uh, a few different places that you like to hunt and that you've spent time as a, as a soldier, um, out of those places, what are your, some of your favorite and I favorite is kind of a, a general term. Cause I, you know, I've been in some places that I wouldn't call my favorite, but are definitely interesting, whether it's the landscape or the, you know, the animals that you find there, Yeah. what would you say is your, like the most interesting place or the, mm. a place that you'd go back to? Well, I don't know if I go back <laughs> at this point, but probably one of the most unique places that I've been able to go to is into Tora Bora in Afghanistan. And I flew Apache attack helicopters in the U.S. military, but I was actually selected to go in on the ground with the three PPCLI, which is the third Princess Patricia's Light Infantry out of Canada, Canada, out of Edmonton, Canada. And we air assaulted in the Tora Bora and basically um, blew the cave entrances back open that had been J-dammed um, to exploit the caves and look for remnants and DNA. And so that was a super unique opportunity, especially as an 864 Apache attack helicopter guy to be on the ground and be in Tora Bora. I can tell you that my loadout was a disaster. I doubled up all my ammo magazines. I had batteries for days. I had my radio. I was so heavy. I don't know what it weighed, but it was a lot. And after two weeks in Tora Bora, I was ready to uh, jettison some of that load along with my plate carriers and so on. But that was a super, super unique experience. And I can remember um, the Northern Alliance guys came in and put on a barbecue for a lack of better terms. They pushed uh, some goats up um, into uh, to where we were operating out of. And that became our barbecue and our mill. And that was like still super vivid in my mind. And I actually have a picture on my desk of um, me and Tora Bora uh, riding a, a Northern Alliance donkey. And uh, so that's probably one of the most memorable places that I've been in terms of mountains. And, you know, New Zealand is iconic. It's super crazy getting into some of those areas. You have, almost have to have a, well, in many cases, a helicopter to get into. We took helicopters in the Tora Bora, but um, obviously Alaska, the Brooks Range, you know, there's all kinds of cool mountain ranges and stuff that I've hunted in. But uh, yeah, by far, Tora Bora was by far the coolest. And we actually rolled um, a lot of that mountain battles and experience into one of our collections, our altitude collection. If you look at the naming on that, we have the Torah pant and the Bora jacket. We have the Takur gar 
which is an operation anaconda that was Roberts Ridge. Um, all the names on all those pieces all have meaning. And it, and it really kind of started out of that experience in Tora Bora. So um, long answer, but that's, that's the answer. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So that's a phenomenal story. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So that ties in perfectly. Uh, included in your About Us and About Cryptech, you mentioned how you and Josh Claygorn were in Afghanistan when you kind of discovered there could be more to camo. Uh, tying the loose ends with us, I know the story, or that is a little bit of a, <laughs> the Cliff Notes version of that. Well, it was actually out of Iraq. And um, the what we saw was we got to see all the coalition troops and we were looking at it from a bird's eye view from aerial platforms and what worked really well and what didn't work. The one thing that was super consistent was that all the coalition operations or units and including the U.S. use camouflage netting. And by far, no matter what, even though you might be off some different shades in the, in the, uh, the webbing that's woven into um, the netting, camouflage netting was the most effects, effective passive concealment measure that we saw in the battlefield. And, you know, like that video you're referencing talks to, that goes back to World War II. Um, that was our idea and inspiration after we got to see what worked, what didn't work. You know, what could we bring to uh, the market that um, would replicate that without having the difficulty of a ghillie suit and all the junk hanging off your shoulders and, and super cumbersome, super wet, or when it gets wet, super cumbersome, super heavy. So that was the inspiration for the, the original cryptic family of camouflage was to take that three-dimensional aspect and figure out how to put it onto a two-dimensional surface with the constraints of military grade wet printing. And that's where you start to really come into some challenges. Um, so you guys digitally print it rip stop by the roll. You can print anything you want and uh, digital printing, heat transfer printing has the limitations and where the delineation is. And the limitation is when you start to look at that camouflage in the infrared and the shortwave infrared spectrum. So if you're looking at it through a set of night vision goggles, if you take these camos that are digitally printed or heat transfer printed, they will glow under a set of NVGs. So if you have an IR light on a handheld camera and you film it and you look at it, it's going to look like your Gumby the glow stick. Uh, it's going to look like white snow camo. But if you do that same thing with military grade fabrics that have been printed properly, then it's still going to be grayscale camouflage. And that's where the delineation is between what you can do on military grade printing versus digital and heat transfer. And that's where the challenge is. And that's always going to be the constraint until a technology comes along to where you're able to do whatever, however you want, and still have those properties that are built into the fabrics that provide concealment when you're going against a near peer competitor. I got to say, I have never thought about the infrared effects on digital printing fabric before. So thanks for introducing me to that one. <laughs> we know all about it. It was all about it. Um, that was a major consideration when we took that idea that we had and we wanted to build a super functional camouflage for the U.S. military. Um, but it was also being tested in those spectrums. 
you know, the, the, the DOD spent probably the better part of, you know, a year testing at high alum, um, where, you know, you're going to stand out under, under, you know, 90% alum under night vision, uh, enhanced visual acquisition devices. So most of the time, uh, civilian market, hunting market, no concerns about that. You know, there's a lot of speculation about how undulancy and, you know, various detergents and brighteners and so on. And so that's about as far as you're going to get. Law enforcement, same thing. No one in LE, tier one LE, like a CERT team or a SWAT team, they're not concerned about infrared, shortwave infrared. It's when you get into uh, military application and you're going against a near peer competitor. You used to be having access to those visually enhanced devices was pretty limited, right? You had to be sophisticated. Well, now you can go online and buy stuff that's relatively inexpensive, super cheap, but almost just effective or if not as effective as when I was active duty uh, and and it can show up at your doorstep on Amazon, right? So everybody's starting to have it. So would you say that is one thing, there can be many, that makes cryptic stand out? To a layman like myself, I'm not super familiar with camouflages. I don't know the ins and outs that well. So they end up kind of appearing Mm -hmm. to be, well, they're all supposed to make you look invisible, more or less. Is that something that a sense of kind of the 3D imagery printed onto a 2D that makes cryptic stand out a little bit more from other camouflages? Well, what really makes it stand out is probably not necessarily like infrared, shortwave infrared, military application is the true challenge is the hunting camouflage, the majority of them will start to blob out once you get past 100 meters, if not closer, 30 meters. So now you've just got a solid blob and you just look like you're one color out there. And Cryptic actually developed our camouflage starting at 300 meters, which is the max effective range of a 5.56 round. And we started to pull it back in and stopped at 10 meters. We stopped at 10 meters because that's what the government said. That's all the closer we're going to test. Whereas conventional hunting camouflages, they will start at what I call 48 inches or shelf appeal. What looks good on the screen? What looks good up close? Uh, And then as you back out, at some point, it's no longer functional, right? It does not, it doesn't conceal you any longer. That was the whole purpose behind our camouflage development. What we got really lucky with, for lack of better terms, was landing on that shelf appeal. We landed on shelf appeal by accident. Um, It wasn't our primary intent. Functionality was our primary intent. Um, But what we found was, you know, it started to have, we had interest in areas that we never imagined. The groundswell that I talk about in that Who We Are video in lifestyle. And, you know, I think probably the best analogy of that lifestyle aspect, it's so far from functionality, it's not even funny, is when you have people on their own accord that are wrapping Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Audis and $250,000 cars. If you take any of those other hunting camos that somebody might be familiar with, I would challenge you to go find somebody on their own accord that paid their own money to wrap their $250,000 Ferrari in that. I can show you, you can find it on the internet where they've done that in Cryptek. You know, so we hit that lifestyle aspect. Cryptek has got this, you know, kind of, um, uh, it's, a, it's a lifestyle deal. And I never thought in a thousand years when we're developing camouflage for the U.S. military 
and U.S. spec ops and coalition spec ops that we'd also, you know, be on everything from cowboy boots to surfboards. I mean, it's just, it just happened. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Um, so I wanted to go back to when you're talking about the effective ranges and when you were uh, developing these patterns in that original design process, how did you, what did that look like? Did you start with uh, different colors of, of netting and then print that onto what the fabric you're using? Or just tell me a little bit about that original design process. Well, the, the original, the original problem set for the U S army camel improvement effort was to have three patterns that basically went together. So the three areas, the three was in woodland. And so you had this form out there basically that was, you know, non-functional didn't go together. And the idea would be that you could take that transitional camouflage in a plate carrier, a pack system, a helmet cover, and it would go and work with uh, your desert variant. And it would also work with your jungle variant. It would still be functional with flow and, um, and those type of deals. So then the color selections came about, right? And to answer your question, Isaac, what we did was uh, we used the, the same process that the DOD used to, to analyze our color, our coloration and palettes, which was called a PIP, which is a picture inside of a picture. And so we would take, um, we used basically chiclets, just a swatch chiclet. Uh, and we would take pictures, transitional library pictures, and we would, we would adjust and play with the macro micro pattern and we'd work it out from 300 meters back in at 20 meter acre and events to 10. When the DOD tested it, phase one testing, they actually put it on a silhouette of a man. They did the same thing. They put all these different terrain shots up and they took 900 soldiers over the period of one year. They put them in a room and they'd flash up this terrain shot and the soldiers had a halo device to drop down and attract their retinas and they'd start looking around and once they acquired the target and the algorithms matched the geometry, the timing would stop and they, that, they measured that in microseconds. And so the longer it took, the better the camouflage worked. And that's how they down-selected from the 60 some odd companies that started with this down to the final four. So that's the end state is that we utilize a process called uh, picture in picture. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting to me um, that just that whole process of, you know, analyzing the, the direction of people's pupils and things like that, that, that just seems like a very. Yeah. That was, it was expensive. They spent North of $10 million on that phase one testing. And then also the phase two testing was all force on force, naked eye acquisition, and then visually enhanced acquisition back into infrared and short movement infrared. So on the phase two, we were monetized. We set up uh, printing domestic U.S. Uh, military grade fabrics, all the findings, all the finishings, all that was sent off to third party cut and sew. That third party cut and sew contractor made uniforms in every camo pattern. So there was 12 all total in um, from the four final four. And then those were issued and basically tested uh, throughout really the globe, all our FO, our FOBs um, downrange and here domestically in the U S at the bases and so on. 
So the claim to fame for Cryptic really is that we are the only camouflage that's in the civilian hunting slash lifestyle market that's been extensively tested by the debate. We want this variant of Cryptic. And they sent us a picture and we started to look at it. And it was soldiers that were in a mortar pit launching mortars and they had camo netting over the top of them. And the sun was casting a shadow in onto those soldiers. And they were, it was actually shadows on top of the cryptic camo. And we were like, wow, you know, that's actually cryptic. They're just, they don't even know that that's a shadow being cast upon it. And so Obscura uh, was developed um, utilizing basically an idea inspiration that was sent to us by accident and then drawing upon tiger stripe, which is probably the most infamous and one of the most effective camel patterns that's ever been in existence. And so we looked back at a lot of information and, and uh, examples of the tiger stripe camo in addition to what was being provided to us by this uh, coalition military unit and basically formed Obscura. The thing that you get in is the variance, you know, so the three original cryptic camo patterns were Highlander, Mandrake, and Nomad. But then there's a whole another family. There's Typhon, there's Raid, there's Wraith, was Yeti until Yeti Sudas, the snow camel. We had to change it. Um, it goes on. Obscure is the same way. So we developed a camo pattern called transitional. That was the that's extremely functional. Grom is the snow variant, super badass, really super badass. And then Knox is the black variant. So those are the three commercialized variants that we jumped on right away. But then you get into all these other patterns and all they are is plugging in different colors. The macro pattern and the micro pattern remain exactly the same. You just start sticking in different colors. And in some cases, the customer has a say and they want really crazy, bizarre shit. Like if you were to look up Obscura Loki, which is this tie-dye variant. It looks like when all the hippies get in the park here, uh, here in Boise, it looks like a Loki fest. I mean, there's the bright reds, the bright yellows, extremely European, right? And I never thought in a million years Cryptic would be doing a tie-dye variant, but the customer requested that. So we're like, okay, well, what Pantones do you want? They give us the Pantones, we plug in, give them five variants back. And they're like, oh, we like two and three. Can you print those out and send them to us? All right. We send it to them. We're like, all right, we love two. Well, there you go. We got Loki. First hippie camo that was officially made for a military application. And Europe loves it. Probably some of you guys will love it too. Because it looks, I mean, if you're in the tie-dye, Loki's your camo, man. I've been doing the product images for all the cryptic patterns. So earlier this morning, I was getting swatch photos and repeated images and things like that. And I, I came across all 18 of the patterns that we have from you all. And Loki was one of them. And I was looking around. I'm like, guys, what, what sort of like, who are, what, what, what is hiding here? And Carter's like, dude, that's a lifestyle camo. I'm like, oh, that's just I, I noticed that specifically. I'm like, this is wild. Some of these are very believable. Like you said, Altitude, Highlander, um, Knox, maybe some of them. I'm like, I could see this in an environment. This one has no very few environments, or so I thought. <laughs> it's there's and it's a really interesting discussion point. I've had groups reach out to me to talk about the psychology of camouflage that you know 
they have no interest in camouflage. They're interested in the fashion aspect of it. There is a psychology, a functional psychology of camouflage. The first and foremost, it's the most important is called IFF, identify friend or foe. That was the original intent that why people wore different uniforms before, you know, we started to slap camo on so that we can knew who was who and what was what we knew we were shooting the right guys and we weren't shooting our own guys. It's still, as a still a true aspect of combat today, IFF, then you get into concealment, you get into functionality, you get into all these things, but still there's, there's a subset to um, military camouflage. And that is esprit de corps, morale, recruitment, retention, you know, when we had to wear uh, a camel pattern that looked like it was only good in a gravel parking lot, it just looked shitty, but it looked great at night under NVGs. And the selection process was such that it got put into main play. But though all those aspects play into it. And it's really fascinating uh, when you start to look at how camouflage then translates into just fashion runways in France, um, you know supermodels wearing dresses um that are in a camel pattern that was intended for you know combat or a variant thereof so there is a there is a uh, psychological aspect some of it's truthful and meaningful the other of it is just a complete fashion component for sure do you have a pattern that you are particularly tied to, I'm sure it's like choosing a favorite child, but I'm sure there's one that sticks out, whether it's for a reason, like you said, like Loki, where you just had no idea it was coming or something that you spent a lot of time hunting in that has a special connection. Is there a pattern that you like more or a little bit more fond of? In terms of pattern, Highlander is by far my favorite. Um, it's so diverse and can be used uh, in so many different environments. And, you know, it's so there's been so much positive feedback from both the hunting market and the military market on how effective it is. Uh, when that was first being tested by some, tested by some of the uh, uh, tier one um, special operations members in the U.S., they were calling it Mike Foxtrot for mindfuck. Um, and these were guys that were trained observers that were being, you know, we had with us friends of ours or, or pro staff or whatever, it's just extremely functional, super functional. Um, in terms of collections, I'm probably more keen on the altitude collection as a whole, just because we're tied back into Scholar fabrics and the technologies that Scholar has are super badass. The performance, the fabrics are off the charts, but in terms of camel patterns themselves, if I had to bleed a pattern and I only got to choose one, it'd probably be Highlander. The story of Cryptech is, I'm sure, close to home for a lot of DIYers and MYOGers, people that often see something and then believe they could probably make that version better than what is currently offered. That seems close to your story as you and Josh kind of thought camo could maybe be done better. What is it about you and Josh that thought you could go off and make camo? Obviously, you had a lot of experience wearing it, but it's a highly technical environment. What sort of uh, mental aspect or personality traits do you think are required to step out and do something like that? Well, what we first saw before we got into the camo aspect was that there was a lot of enhancements in apparel that had been driven forward by the war on terror. 
and and crossed all weapon systems and radio systems and communications and everything. But there was an enormous amount of enhancements that were happening in apparel and especially in special operations. And so our idea was to take some of those features and functions and spiral them into the civilian hunting market. And that's really what started when Cryptic first launched. Uh, it was with Cabela's. And the only place you could buy Cryptic was at Cabela's for three and a half years. And the camel pattern that, that Cryptic, original Cryptic was in, was actually Mothwing Mountain Mimicry. It wasn't Cryptic camo. We had this aspiration and these ideas like we're going to make our own camo at some point. And really the catalyst that brought that to the forefront was when the U.S. Army Camo Improvement Effort came out and we're like, well, now's the time to take these ideas that we have and bring them forward. It was, we were never sitting back going, hey, wouldn't it be cool to be a camel company? We were sitting back going, hey, wouldn't it be cool to be in the outdoor industry? Wouldn't it be so cool if we were in the outdoor industry and we could go do what we love? We could go hunting, fishing, hiking, backpacking, rafting, all those things and actually sustain a lifestyle for our family. That was the intent. And truth be told, <laughs> it, um, we just kind of followed the opportunities and jumped on the opportunities and, and uh, aggressively pursued um, ideas and concepts. And I can tell you, it wasn't easy. I can remember writing personal checks out of my bank account and my wife looking at me going, you are batshit crazy, right? What are you doing? But, you know, risk much to gain much. And, and that's how that's how it went. Uh, yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> that sounds very familiar to a lot of a lot of us here at Ripstop uh, and a lot of our customers, honestly. Um, I mean, me personally, I I love the outdoor industry. I love hunting. I love fishing, you know, much like what you were just talking about. And my whole you know, motivation for going into the textile industry was so that I could, you know, somehow eventually make my gear that I didn't want to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on, you know, because it had that, that aspect of me making it myself, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, that that's really, really cool that you say that. Cause I think a lot of people that love the outdoor industry feel the same way. How can I do something that I love and sustain myself and my family while doing it? Um, yeah. So let's see here. I, I have, um, one more question for you. Um, okay. So the similarities you see between, um, hunting and your, your patterns, um, like I was just saying, I, I love making gear. Part of that is, is making my own gear to hunt with. Um, is that something that you see a lot of with your customers, you know, a motivator for using Cryptech uh, versus something else, you know, is that they can take that and then, it takes them further into the outdoors or further into the field, whatever it is. Well, guys today want to, in many cases, have their pack match, their rifle match, their gear that they're wearing. So they're all dress right dress. And, you know, when it comes to cryptic, we have compared to our primary competitors, there's a lot of options to decorate, you know, whatever it is, your weapon, your bow, arrows, you know, so on and so forth. So I do think that uh, when you have um, an entire ensemble, people will go out of their way to do the other pieces. Um, there's a lot of DIYers that are, are doing their own holsters. They're doing 
you know, they're, they're buying the Kydex and then they're, they're forming their own, their own products. Um, they're buying bra fabrics. In this case, I'm sure many of them will be buying fabrics from you guys and, and who knows what they're coming up with. They're making to add, I guess, to their ensemble or their collection. I'm super fascinated with the guys that are super hardcore bushcraft DIY, everything. I mean, from shooting the deer to processing the leather, making their own buckskin clothes and stuff. But realistically, majority of folks are not that level. If you can buy some fabric off the shelf and have a, some sewing experience, who knows uh, what'll be coming out of it. And with your fabric selections, specifically that Dyneema, which is like uber awesome, I'm excited to see what people come up with and I'm hopeful they'll share it and, you know, tag it on Instagram so we can share it as well. And, and cross promote those, uh, those guys that are free spirited DIY self-sustaining individuals have a pioneer spirit. Um, and you know, cryptic can be a part of that adventure for them. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to see, uh, what some of our customers come up with. And I mean, I, I I'm, Personally, I'm excited for this because I, I'm planning on going on a, a caribou hunt um, next year in Alaska. And I'm like just geeking out about all the stuff that I could, you know, do now that we, you know, carry some, some of your patterns. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, personally, I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, Cryptic was born in Alaska uh, when I got the military. That's where it was actually formed. And I was living 20 miles north of Fairbanks and you know, super austere environment. If your shit works there, it'll work. Was it a, uh, was it North pole by any chance? North and North pole. I gotcha. was up Chena hot springs road about 20 miles, but, um, actually I have caribou pictures on the wall from my youngest daughter when she was 10 that, uh, she shot, um, up there. I killed a bunch of caribou and moose and, and doll sheep and everything else. But awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you one of the best guys that's not in the main light uh, from Alaska, that it's a complete DIYer is Larry Bartlett from pristine ventures. And, you know, he made, he, he broke the mold on synthetic game bags called tag bags. There's a bunch of options now, but he saw a need for a super lightweight synthetic bag. He went out and basically got that developed, developed and commercialized. Um, he's, probably the most famous for making pack rafts in, uh, in Alaska to float those rivers. And you might be doing a, a, a float hunt up there when you go with one of his pieces, but, um, true pioneer spirit saw, saw a need in the market, went after it. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, Alaska is the proving grounds for, for cryptic. So I'm near and dear to my heart. We've talked about a lot of different applications of cryptic from, maybe the expected of military and hunting to the unexpected like cars and runways even. What is an application of cryptic that has surprised you more than anything else? We see it all the time. We've seen people make blow-ups, like blow-up inflatable devices out of our... Yeah. What have you seen? Dude, tattoos. It's the most crazy shit ever. Tattoos people getting full sleeve cryptic tats, whether it's the logo included, the name, the camo, and there's a plethora of them. It's not like just one, you know, crazy son of a bitch. I mean, there's a ton of them. It's the craziest shit I've ever seen in my life. And if you would ask me that, 
did you ever think that something that, uh, that, you know, you came up with would eventually find itself permanently on someone's skin? I could see like Claycorn, you know, Claycorn's a tat guy. I mean, he's a walking billboard. He's a audacious, you know, in your face type of guy too. But when it's like everybody else and dudes that you've never even met, it's just fucking weird. I'll tell you the other craziest thing. It's not a camo, but it's a logo, cryptic logo, right? And we see this shit pop up all the time. But um, a couple of years ago, my dad drew this premium elk tag in uh, Idaho. I took him up and killed him a really nice bull. And anyway, he had to get some dental work and he was getting some dentures. You know, he's pushing 70s. And uh, my daughter calls me up and or texts me. She just said, Dad, did you see Papa's tooth? And I'm like, what? So he took one of the elk ivories out of this bull that we killed two years ago. And he freaking had it put into his dentures with the cryptic logo on it. <laughs> so besides the tattoos, that's also like one of my craziest shits I've ever seen. I get it. He's my dad. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So anyway. That is that phenomenal. Oh man, that's the, that's the craziest application of anything I have seen. We've seen some really wild stuff, but that is you take. Yeah, the- I said, how did you get the dentist to agree to that? I mean, who does that? Here, you drop off the elk ivory tooth, and he's like, "Hey, give me give me a couple of days. I got a whittle on it." Was he uh, was he also a taxidermist by any chance? <laughs> he probably was. My dad, knowing him, he's like, "Hey, can you do teeth." <laughs> Amazing. So we've talked where cryptic has been for a while. Where do you see cryptic going? What's what's next that you can tell us? Well, we got a ton of stuff going on and it's in multiple directions. Um, we're in a life cycle now where, you know, we're adding people, um, you know, getting more professional. Cryptic was a hobby for a long, long time. And um, we're kind of transitioning out of hobby phase into reality phase. When it comes back to camouflage, which is kind of the core of this discussion with Ripstop by the Roll, for the way ahead is we've got programs we're well underway with, you know, other military units. There's probably, I don't know how many camouflage patterns that we developed that are on the shelf that haven't been brought to the civilian market. Um, and some of those are coming together faster than others. Uh, in the meantime, though, we're just going to continue to develop and innovate and you know bring better product uh online for end users and customers so um yeah that's i think to summarize where we're at right now and uh in the future i like to believe and feel that cryptic is going to be a brand that's going to be around for a long 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 time and um who knows what it'll be in 20 years 30 years 50 years uh but we're just going to continue to innovate. We've got products right now that have nothing to do with apparel and nothing to do with camouflage that we're, you know, bringing into us spec ops. And so um, I feel like we've got a bright future. 
it seems like you all are set up for that too. I mean, the amount of growth that you've seen so quickly is, is remarkable. And we think that the work you guys do is really cool. I mean, that's why we're such big fans of having you all here and really excited to be, to be partners with you all right now. So for people making their own gear at home, uh, the majority of our listeners are people that make their own backpacks, hammocks, tents, shelters, things like that. What does Butch Whiting, CEO of Cryptic, want to tell those individual makers about Cryptic? People that might be on the fence about, cam- uh, about camos in the past or haven't been totally sold. What's something that they maybe wouldn't know? We're just a bunch of former soldiers that absolutely love to hunt. Um, we're family men. And uh, if you make really good shit, send samples to 291 East Shore Drive, Eagle, Idaho. And I'll put it to the use and tell you all about it. If it's sick and epic, then we might have to have a conversation about commercializing it and bringing it to market. But uh, in all actuality, we see you guys an extension of the Cryptic team and um, looking forward to what you guys come up with. This has been a ton of fun, Butch. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with Isaac and I to share with Ripstop on the record community. Um, We really appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys, too. It's been really nice to meet you, Butch. Awesome. That's it. Have a good day. Thanks, Butch. You too, man. Take care.